Welcome to A Virtual View. I'm here today with Kathy Walker, the Program Director for Healthy Minds, Healthy Lives with the Indiana Rural Health Association. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Getting started, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I've been with IRHA for about almost four years. I came from a community action agency background for prior 15 years. Done an, a variety of things in in the field of health promotion then and now. And I, I enjoy the outdoors and photography and cooking and traveling and all kinds of things. Very cool. Very cool. So we are a telehealth podcast, so I feel obligated to ask, do you have any experience with telehealth in the past? You know, I, I hate to admit this, but no, I've never used telehealth. I did serve as a patient for a remote patient monitoring video that was done some time ago, but I haven't used telehealth directly myself. I haven't had a need to. Well, if you've used an RPM device, you've used telehealth. Okay, there there you go. I have that. See? See? Yeah, it's a, it's a wider range than most people think, because usually when we talk about it, we're like, well, if I haven't done a video visit, I haven't done telehealth, but honestly, you probably have in some respect, you just haven't realized it. There you go. <laughs> You're the director for the Healthy Minds, Healthy Lives program, right? That's correct. So can you tell me a little bit about what that program is? Yeah, it's a mental health and wellness awareness program, suicide prevention program. It's funded through the Indiana State Department of Agriculture. And really the the focus of the program is to raise awareness around mental health and to work on reducing stigma and just provide people some tools to utilize when they do come across an individual that may have suicidal ideation. I am a QPR, question, persuade, refer, trained facilitator. And QPR is a suicide prevention program. So we we work to educate people and train them on the signs and symptoms of that ideation and how they can appropriately question, persuade, and refer someone for assistance. Just trying to get the rural and agricultural communities to start talking more openly around mental health overall. So it's specifically targeting our rural and agricultural populations. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But that's pretty broad. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, you know, I've done some work with some agricultural organizations, but I've also done some work with some community organizations in rural areas because, you know, that's agriculture is in our rural areas. So we have to address it, you know, broadly that way. When we talk about rural populations, why is it important to engage with them specifically as opposed to just saying well this is a healthy minds healthy lives program for everyone everyone's part of this why is it important for us to say okay this is something that's specifically targeted on our rural populations that's a great question our rural populations really have fewer resources in terms of health care and access to healthcare and telehealth particularly, there are many rural areas that still struggle with broadband access. So it's very important that we don't overlook our rural populations, especially when it comes to mental health, because the lack of resources, many times people in rural areas and farming particularly work in isolation or live in isolation. And that's a risk factor. So we're trying to provide some education around that, 
so that they can have those resources. And with telehealth, they can seek out telebehavioral health if their broadband is good in the comfort of their own home and in their privacy, maybe of their combine as they're working. So we do talk about mental health, but we're also promoting telehealth and how to utilize it from a consumer standpoint. Well, maybe I'm betraying my background as somebody who's lived mostly in suburbs, but the idea of farmers and agricultural workers being a particularly isolated population, that is not something that had actually occurred to me before. Is that being a unique risk factor? Well, it is. The agricultural field as a whole has a pretty high suicide rate, but Mm. so does uh, rural populations. And, And for the very reasons that I mentioned, is lack of resources, isolation. There are fewer psychiatric providers in rural areas. So people oftentimes, if they can't access telehealth, have to travel a good distance to get the services that they need. And that can present some challenges for many, especially in our lower income populations where reliable transportation is is an ongoing struggle. And I'm sure that in those rural populations, even if they have the ability to get transported to get to the locations where those providers are, that there's a, a lot on those particular providers. I'm sure that they are having to deal with a large number of patients and that it's difficult to get in for care. Just like many other states across the country, we have a shortage of providers in the mental health realm. You know, we have a shortage. Oftentimes people have to wait for a period of time to get in. There's wait lists often. That's a concern. Whereas if someone is having a mental health crisis state, meaning that, you know, they're maybe suicidal or just at a, at a breaking point, if you will, they need to be helped promptly. So there has been across Indiana and across the country, the rollout of the 988 uh, suicide response line. And Indiana has that as well. So that's something that's available over the phone by just simply dialing 988. That's a very cool initiative that's happening. Yes. A lot of what you're talking about, I feel like we see the same issues that the entire country is facing, particularly with things like behavioral health care provider shortages. We see them exacerbated in these rural populations. It's the problem everyone is happening, but it's to the nth degree just because there are so few providers in those locations, particularly specialty providers, when we talk about things like behavioral health. Yeah, absolutely. There is recently was a Indiana behavioral health report that was done. And so we do have people at the top within the state of Indiana looking at improving our system within the state. So that's a very positive move for Indiana. So I just wanted to throw that in there too. No, that's great. Uh, That and the 988 initiative, I think, will go a long way towards really not just normalizing behavioral health care in Indiana, but allowing those more isolated populations and those disadvantaged populations to get access to these services. Right. And behavioral health is part of our overall health. It's the physical health and the mental health really go hand in hand. I mean, if if you have poor physical health, it can affect you mentally and vice versa. If you have poor mental health, it can affect you physically. We need to look at it as a more overall total person, effort. Hence the name Healthy Minds, Healthy Lives. Right on. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. 
So when we talk about engaging with rural populations specifically, what sort of challenges do you face when trying to engage with that particular population? Because I imagine there are some. We had scheduled some regional workshops in specific locations that we thought were strategic. And we've struggled to get people to them, even after some very heavy marketing efforts, very targeted marketing efforts. However, we've had a lot of success and continue to have success in promoting educational sessions where we will go to a local community and we're looking for host organizations to bring our programming in and help bring people from the local community to that event. And those have been much more successful. And I think really the purpose of the workshops versus the local approach is much better in rural areas. And and I've lived in rural areas for 25 years. I lived out in the middle of farmland. So I've, I've lived in those areas and they're very much very tight-knit communities. And so to venture out to maybe a regional workshop that's not within their local community is probably less enticing than if something was being held locally by a reputable and recognized organization. We've learned that along the way that getting to the local level is so important with this and other topics as well. Mm -hmm, For sure. And I imagine that having a local organization that they know and trust presenting this particular sort of programming probably cuts down on the stigma that is there when you you talk about behavioral health and mental health in these communities. Very likely. Yes, I agree with that. Um, Just Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, this, this entity that we all know and has been around for a long time is, is embracing this topic and Mm -hmm. wants to have some discussion around it. Well, maybe it's worth going to. You know, while our target is the farming community, the farming community also receives services from a number of social services and other organizations within the community. It's just important for people to understand the topic area and specifically how it affects the farming industry, because then they can better serve those those communities. Right. So it's not just for the farmers themselves. It's for the people who are working with them and are part of their community. Yeah. What we call agribusiness. No, I think that's important to take a community approach to this kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. It seems to be working pretty well. No, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Cause I know that it can be uh, particularly challenging to engage with a population that's pretty insular and community focused. Yes. So when we talk about promoting health and behavioral health in these rural populations. Do you think telehealth is a tool that can help promote access within these populations that we're talking about? No, absolutely. Um, and, and as you know, we've worked with you in generating a presentation that we show at our events that yep. speak to <laughs> telehealth and how to access it and what you need and the do's and don'ts from a consumer standpoint. And we've gotten some really positive feedback about that. And I think it's expanded people's knowledge of telehealth on a consumer basis. Glad that the UMTRC could be of help in spreading the good word of telehealth. So what sort of attitude do you find in these communities and populations? And this is mostly for my own curiosity, but what kind of attitude do you find 
in regards to telehealth? Is there a lot of distrust there? Is there ignorance? How are these sort of populations approaching telehealth as a concept? I'm not sure if I'm able to really pick up on that. Like I say, the evaluations give hard, you know, high marks, but as far as getting a feel for their perception of it and their potential utilization of it, it's hard to gauge and are quite honestly with our evaluations, I don't know, really pick up on that. Several people have said in evaluations that it's a good resource to be aware of and to share with others. I think most people in our day and time are open to it. And I think in small rural communities, everybody knows everybody. I think a lot of times when it comes to healthcare and behavioral healthcare specifically, there is a stigma there about them seeking out care at a local mental health provider because people might see them there. Where telehealth omits that piece and they can do it privately without anyone knowing at all once they get all set up. I think that's a bonus. That's definitely a positive for telehealth and telebehavioral health is that it is a bypass to that stigma, if you will. No, I definitely agree. And behavioral health is a type of healthcare that lends itself particularly well to telehealth for a whole host of reasons. Yes. Uh, you generally don't have to do physical examinations. You can get comparable care, like even if you're not in the same room with a provider. But stigma reduction is one that I think is often taken for granted or overlooked just how big of an impact that can have on some people. Just not having to physically drive to an office, walk through a parking lot, talk to a receptionist, sit in an office. Like I think removing that whole process can really just open up people to receiving this care. No, and I, I completely agree with you. And in these small rural communities, oftentimes those office staff are people they know. Right. You know, until we get way beyond the stigma that we have right now, you know, that that is a factor that telehealth definitely can help with big time. So aside from the video provided by yours truly, what sort of resources has the HMHL program been providing to these populations? Great, great question. We actually have a, well, other than present, we do a presentation on the mental health landscape within Indiana. So there's some data there, and there is mention of this Indiana Behavioral Health Commission report, among some other things. We do present the UMTRC. We also present the Purdue Farm Stress Program, which is an ongoing program that can be utilized by many in the agricultural field to learn how to manage stress and, and as a resource. So we do promote that. And then we are conducting, as I mentioned, the question, persuade, refer training for many. Anyone that attends one of our events, in-person events, will get a folder of a variety of resources. Some of the resources are on our website under the Healthy Minds, Healthy Lives program. But in there, we have flyers from various programs, health insurance, the Indiana IRHA help program which is great, can provide um, resources by zip code for individuals. 
We have a flyer on the UMTRC, the Purdue Farm Stress Program, Indiana Rural Health Association, information from Rural Minds, which is a mental health program national that talks about mental health in rural areas. We also have a document that defines common mental health conditions like depression and anxiety. Also a document that provides information about the various types of mental health providers. What's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist or a social service provider, those kinds of things. So it's really a lot of information for people and resources that they take with and can refer back to. QPR also has a booklet that provides a vast amount of information as well as the specific components of question, persuade, refer. I think it's really important that you're printing out all of these resources and physically putting it in people's hands. Yep. Because, I mean, we are grant-funded programs, so we know eventually we're coming to an end. But when we Mm -hmm. can provide something hard copy to people in an abundance, then it's there for them to utilize as, as they choose and see fit and share with others. In these events that we conduct, I really encourage and, and really almost challenge people to continue to have conversations around mental health. Take it to your family, take it home to your family and your coworkers, your friends, tell them about it, because that's how we start to reduce the stigma, is to continue the conversations that we're having in these events. You know, it is changing. I think that's one thing that COVID did bring mental health more to the forefront because I think all of us were affected mentally by the COVID pandemic in some form or fashion. Yeah, no. And I imagine that that was an impact that was even worse when we're talking about these very isolated populations that don't have these support systems. And unlike a lot of us, they don't have great broadband access or like a way to hop on Zoom and see a family member while they're isolating or something. They're just stuck alone. Like, I can't imagine the the mental stress that would put on someone. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you think about that and you think about someone that maybe was already struggling with mental health issues and then COVID came and it exacerbated it um, in many cases. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it is something that we, we definitely need to be aware of and, and provide resources for. Yeah. As we settle into the uh, fabled new normal, I think it will be important to continue to address the mental health consequences of this pandemic in all populations. Yeah. Because I do think COVID in some form, and we know that there's various variants that are coming out all the time that mm-hmm. I think it's here to stay in some form. Um, mm-hmm. And it will continue to have these consequences that we, we are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any upcoming opportunities for listeners that you want to touch on? As I mentioned, we we don't have our scheduled workshops anymore. However, we are offering these educational sessions to local communities. We have a couple of them that are taking place that are open for registration on our in-person events page of our website. But if someone is listening and has an interest in learning more about the programming and our educational sessions and to bring it to their local community, I'd really encourage them to reach out to me and we can work on trying to get something scheduled in their respective organization at some time in the near future. You did mention that this is a program that has a finite end date and that's something that's coming up fairly soon, right? That is correct. End of March. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So in the short term, before the end of March, what does the future of Healthy Minds, Healthy Lives look like? That is a tough question to answer. <laughs> uh, you know, the program is, is grant funded and grants do come to an end. In talking with some of the management within Indiana Rural Health Association, I don't think this is the end of, of working in this area of mental health for sure. So we hope that we can continue something like this in the future with other funds and in the agricultural world, if we can you know, find those funds to continue as well. But it does take funding. So that's our limitation right now. I do think we are making a difference. And, and frankly, that's all I can hope for is you make a difference with a few individuals or a few organizations, whatever the case may be. But that's, that's what it's all about is making that difference. So, and I do think that's happening. And I think you see that difference in a few individuals and that's reflected back within their community members too. Like you only need one positive role model to accept the fact that like, hey, maybe I should pursue like behavioral health care. The thing about it is, and, and this has been commented by an attendee too on the question persuade refer training is that you don't have to be a professional to help someone mm -hmm. with mental health issues or suicidal mm -hmm. ideation one of the things you can do and it's i encourage is to just listen listen to some ask questions and and hold your judgment don't judge be open-minded ask questions listen actively listen and know where to find help for these individuals and don't stop there once you get them uh, past their crisis state then check back with them make sure they're still doing okay because a lot of times people that are in, in this crisis state, they're not thinking clearly. They're overwhelmed by everything and anything, and they just need to mm -hmm. be heard. They need to kind of break things down a little bit so they're not also overwhelmed by everything. There are some mental health conditions that are very serious. And they do need help. But in general, if we can all just open our hearts and our minds and, and listen to someone without judgment. And I can't stress that enough because as soon as we pass judgment, then they don't talk anymore and they shut down. We just need to be open to that with our friends and our family members and coworkers is to just offer an ear and a shoulder and care and do it without judgment. When we look past the future of the program and just talk about the future of behavioral healthcare in these populations, these agricultural populations, how do you think we can best work with rural and agricultural populations in the future to continue promoting behavioral health care? Just keep the conversations going. Make sure that, you know, where your resources are within your respective community, because they can vary from community to community. There are community mental health clinics that are available across the state and helplines. All of those are going to be ongoing sources of support for individuals. So, I just encourage people to become more aware of those services in their respective community and at the state level. Like I say, 988 is, is one and it's it's new. It's going to be supported and continued. But know, know what's around locally too. If you're interested in holding one of our educational sessions, please get with me very soon. Uh, we will be concluding these in end of March, April. So there's not much time. I would just stress that if it is something of interest to, to act quickly. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on today. I really learned a lot, not only about your program, but about 
behavioral health care and some of the unique challenges faced by our rural and agricultural populations. My pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to A Virtual View. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast player. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to discuss? If so, contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Finally, a special thanks to the Health, Resources, and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Office for the Administrator and the Office for the Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Danielle Rankley of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy of or the position of HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you for listening and have a great day.